Acts 27. Verse 9. Are you ready? Now, when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast, now that would be a capital F, the fast. This was a specific moment in, in, a, in a, the life of a, of a Jew. It was now over. Paul admonished them. <clears throat> he said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master, they didn't take Paul's word, the owner of the ship, more than those things which were spoken by Paul. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, that means the place where they were, it wasn't a good place to stop. The more part advised to depart thence also. So they just decided to leave that, that land. If by any means they might attain to Phoenicia and there to winter, which is an haven of Crete and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. Now skip down to verse 31, if you will, and then I'll fill in all the blanks. Acts 27, 31. Paul said to the centurions and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship you cannot be saved and I preach today some on broken pieces some on broken pieces amen everyone said in Jesus name father we ask for your blessing on our lives add a blessing to the word Encourage those of the household of faith and bring more into the household of faith. You are the great God. You are a holy God. And you have already made a way for us, Lord. So we give you great praise, glory, power, and strength. Mighty is your name. Jesus, someone speak his name. Lift up your hands and your voices right now and speak his name, Jesus. Jesus. No other name. No other name. <laughs> oh. <Yeah. laughs> While we were being led in worship, I could hardly utter the words of the songs that just kept speaking in other tongues as the spirit gave the utterance the power of the lord is in this house today we ought to magnify god one more time before we're seated everybody with your whole heart no other name amen god bless you and you may be seated and i need to say a couple of things in reference to what's happening this week and what has happened this week. My wife and I, 
were traveling around the United States. We were having a great time. I was evangelizing, preaching multiple different camps and conventions, and we'd been married approximately five years. And um, the Lord spoke and uh, through Brother Mooney and... We were introduced to the city of Terre Haute and preached our first service 21 years ago on October the 10th, and seven days later, three days later, we were elected, and seven days later on the 17th of October, we were elected as the pastors of New Life Fellowship. Each day as I pray, I see the congregation, our church, and our city in various ways. For some, I am incredibly encouraged by your resolve. For others, I am burdened. I suppose that if I were an Old Testament prophet, I would have no vested interest. Of course, that would be a little easier, I suppose, on my blood pressure. Or if I had continued as an evangelist, I could simply preach the sermon and move on. What a delight that would be. But the office in which the Lord has called me, I am connected. We are connected as a body. It's been great, but it's not always have pleasant experiences. There is an anointing that, that is upon Tammy and I, and we're grateful for that. I cannot say if it is special, but I am certain that it is unique. It's not one of those things that I can easily explain. Just just a boost, I suppose, from God that keeps us going. And we do it with great joy. There are some folks that grace this house which are nothing short of pillars. They are like Aaron and Hur holding up the arms of Moses as he overlooked the advancing armies of Joshua. Many are a blessing to the church in ways that are often unseen. I would commend you. Your faithfulness to this place is a blessing that no one can explain. Everyone is critical and important. Of course, in this pandemic, while the world is paralyzed and indeed the political landscape is shifting like the tremors of a fault line, I know that God is leading us to something. I would submit a small window of a great awakening, even in our city and in your families, in your lives. I'm grateful for the support and the prayers of the body of Jesus Christ, but I'm also burdened by the times in which we live. I do not know if I have the gift of discernment. There are nine supernatural spiritual gifts I thought for a long time I did have that, but I've been wrong about so many people so many times. (laughs) But I do know that God has granted me access to the word of wisdom and to the word of knowledge. These are not as well known as the other supernatural spiritual gifts, but they are in the same family. The word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. I have moved in all of the nine gifts during the course of my ministry, but they are released by God and I cannot access them at will. 
God does that, and I'm amazed when it happens. I'm seeing something in the Spirit which brings me both comfort and grief. I'm seeing the body of Jesus Christ facing a storm that will not be avoided. The Lord led me to the Scripture many months ago, and I could not shake it. It was just there in the background, a small fire burning beneath it. Sometimes I dream these sermons, and then in the morning I have to get up and read them, even though they are rarely, maybe never a part of my scheduled daily one-year Bible. I bring you today to the center of the Mediterranean Sea. If in your mind's eye you can imagine a great body of water, the vastness of it. There's a small landmass rising from those waters. It has a beach with sand, but mostly it is a rocky shore. The name of that island is called Malta. It's also known as Molita, both arriving from the same root word. A couple of years ago, I was invited to go to a few missions endeavors and I went from Paris to London and took the train and met some ministers there. Brother Trammell and I have been friends for a long time. He's a pastor in, in Michigan. And Brother Trammell said, Jeffrey, let's, let's hunt around. I know a bunch of old bookstores. And so we, we went to these dungeon-type bookstores. Though our nation is only 241 years old, Europe has been around for a long time. We are a baby nation. We were looking through books, some of them four or five centuries old. In one of those lower level basements, the dust was so heavy. It wasn't dirt. It was the fragmented pages of the books. One of the missionaries that were with us was a missionary to Malta, brother uh, and sister Parker, brother Kirby Parker, his wife Mary. They've been at Malta for a long time. We were at lunch one day and he began to share his burden with me. And then the next day we went and found some books, old books, written by 15th century scholars about the place of his mission, Malta. The significance was so great, both historically and biblically, it astounded me. In a military sense, Malta was of great strategic importance, especially to the naval powers that traversed those waters. Lands or places, stay with me now. Lands or places or even ideas with no significance are never fought over. The Phoenicians, the Carthaginians, the Romans, Greeks, Arabs, Normans, the Aragonese, the French, even the British all fought to secure that small island in the center of the sea. Can you imagine? It turned over so many times because, again, places of importance are always in a constant fight. If it were not important, no one would care. That island was not especially rich with fertile soil. It was not embedded with gold or silver or some costly metal. No diamonds or jewels in abundance lay beneath her surface. The reserve had no tradable values or valuation. It was the location, Malta's location, Malta's placement in the sea and the outlook that so many found appealing. Malta was that midpoint of refueling and rest 
a strategic view, yes, for the approaching vessels of war, but refueling and rest. Of course, a harbor in the middle of the open sea has a worth unmatched by gold. Solid footing, shelter, a rock, it was worth more than money could buy. For some of you, this is a common thread. Rest and peace are the greatest treasures in this life. If you're cast about long enough, the smallest of stabilities will catch your eye. You'll desire it. It is said that the sailors who spanned the Horn of Africa, those who sailed so many months at sea, lips cracking like the dry desert mud, skin peeling into deepened layers, reddened with blood, they wrote that when they reached the shore of their destination, they hugged the ground and kissed the sand, and then they ran as a group to gather grass, pulling it up just to taste what they called the fruit of the earth, land. Malta was that kind of place, a place of safety and rest. It was small, but it was decorated with homes and harbors, all of which were signs to the weary sailor. To reach those shores meant to escape the clutches of the raging sea. It was said that when the Normans conquered it in 1901, they cried to see the island's dirt and rocks. They had found a place to stand. Historians write of the blood spilled to conquer and to keep that island. So many fought over it and died. So many leaders and captains and armies sought for its rights. For where there is a battle, there is worth. And the greater the battle, the greater the worth. Paul's entire ministry was a battle. Satan himself buffeted Paul. The Gentiles were often unkind and the Jews and religious order despised him. He said of himself, and I quote, he was in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city and in the wilderness, in the sea, among false brethren. There wasn't a place Paul could go without some physical manifestation of a spiritual battle. And it is no wonder for the fight the doctrine that he preached, which I also deliver, is the high ground. No one does this without a fight. Oh. If godly living is to be kept, you'll have to fight to keep it. Holiness never comes easy. Oh, yes. And if the name of Jesus is to be preached, if we are going to pray in Jesus' name, if we're going to use it in commencements, funerals, inaugurations, baptisms, or any other word or deed, it will come with a fight. There will be a rebuttal against the name of Jesus in our day, and it will intensify. And if this church is to thrive and reach the lost with teaching and preaching, giving and service, and the infilling and baptism of the Holy Spirit, it will come at a cost of relationships and friendships. It is, after all, the high ground. You're standing on the high ground today. Cheap things are easy. Worthy things are costly. Insignificant things fade with seasons. That's why they call it trends. Eternal things transcend the times. 
So if you are trapped or squabbling over trivial matters, you may very well miss the consequential. If you are entangled with the affairs of this life, it's time to get untangled because no man that warreth entangle himself with the affairs of this life that he may please God who hath called him to be a righteous and a godly soldier. Yes. It's easy to lose sight of the grand when you are, when you are so close and, and, so, and so enamored with the bland it's easy to get off track when you are chasing the wrong thing. The kingdom is all that matters today. Heaven is before us and the world is pressing and I'm after the high ground. As I stand here today, I'm after the high ground of godliness and holiness and separation and the word and the Holy Ghost and the name. If anything, ladies and gentlemen, we should be working on reaching somebody, not trying to be somebody. If anything, we ought to be pressing for the high mark of God, which is in Christ Jesus, not wavering in our faith, our commitment, or our devotion. It's too late in the day to get caught in the shallows. Yes, yes, yes. I know that you believe it, but if you really believe it, you ought to put your hands together and act like you believe it. <laughs> Consider Paul who abandons every pursuit for the kingdom. I know how he began. I know that he began poorly. His zeal was grossly misled. But by divine intervention, he will minister to the very people he once sought to imprison. He calls them his brothers and sisters. Yes, his early years haunted his memory. The image of those idle coats lying at his feet as he kept them, as they stoned Stephen. It's a hard scene to forget. It's an imprint not soon lost. Paul is delivering the gospel of Jesus Christ. He will spend his life's blood preaching, debating, teaching, even long into the midnight hours. Without much resources, he is often fed by the people. He's housed by them. But periodically, he will pause to make tents and sew fabric together just to support his missionary habit. He has no sponsors. <laughs> In Acts chapter 27, we find him already having completed the third of his missionary, the final third of his missionary journey. He turned the far reaches of the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The churches he established and the ministers he's raised up in those trips will live far beyond him. Many will come to know the Lord without any knowledge of who it was that birthed their understanding. I assume that line to be the case in many places today, maybe even here. As the years pass, Paul develops fierce opponents. He is not loved by everyone. Jewish aristocrats and temple priests are weary of his intrusion. They've lost members and they've lost money. They hate him. And now they have finally caught up with him. And they have convinced the Romans to capture him and to host a trial. All of which will now happen in Italy's capital city. It's a long journey by sea if they can make it that far. Paul is not the only prisoner on that vessel. There are other prisoners, some soldiers, necessary sailors. The Bible says 276 of them in all. By pride or ego, they have misjudged the weather. And, 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 and they are not sailing properly. In fact, they're sailing in the worst possible time of the season. They were comforted by the cool but deceiving breeze of the south wind. They'll find themselves now in a tempest. The winds will shift and the sea will become contrary to them. Nothing they do matters. They are never enough. 
they have not enough. Their man-made tools to fight the open waters are not enough. The Roman soldiers are commissioned with the prisoners keeping. If they approach land anywhere, the soldiers would rather kill them than see them escape. God, however, is going to protect that boat. And he's going to protect them from the hand of the soldier. But the, sh- but the, the sheer winds and the sea shows no favor. A storm has come because they were sailing in the season of the storm. They were in a season of storms. I know how this sounds like an obvious observation, but perhaps we all fail to recognize that seasons manifest themselves in our lives, and there are seasons of storms. And on that ship in this tempest, while the waves beat out their relentless rhythm, the crew tries to save the ship by tossing over their cargo, maybe to make it a little lighter, more manageable. On the second day, they throw over more goods. They were destined to, to stay alive. Those goods now find themselves at the bottom of the ocean. By day three, they consort to casting out the ship's tackling. Here's your Bible. In the third day, we cast out our own hands, the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars and many days appeared and no small tempest lay on us, it means a great one. All hope that we should be saved was then taken away. Hope was lost. And now having lost everything they had, the ship looks insufficient to them. They were so close to leaving the only thing that could save them. They were about to abandon the ship. That wooden boat was no match for the tempest and they all knew it full well. It strained itself against the mighty waves. Its joints cracked under the force and the thrust of collision. They had already given up all their cargo and their tools. Hope of survival now wilted. The sun and stars were covered up meaning a storm cloud followed them above and the wind drove them further into the deep. Rain beat down on them day and night. Fourteen days in a row, the Bible says. Weeks of misery until finally they looked up and they saw a little bit of land fall. It was Malta. But the ship was not able to traverse the rocks. They couldn't maneuver through the storm. They couldn't carry them all safely to shore. Again, they took the thought to kill the prisoners, but God sustained them. The shipmen, those worthy sailors, knew... Who was going to be saved and who was going to be lost? They knew what the story would be. So they believed that they would flee the ship. Had it been up to them, they would have taken their chances out in the open water. And that's when Paul stood up and gave this impassioned plea, which was nothing more than a standing message of our age. He said, except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. It was a sermon he was preaching to depict the church in our time. The ship is the church. The disciplines and the teachings, the fellowship and the moments of worship, worship at the altar, classes for children, youth services and retreats, life groups and prayer meetings except these abide in the ship ye cannot be saved I sense a storm coming in this world and I rise to say to this to this crowd of believers stay in the boat stay in the ship stay in the church mm. the Bible says that Noah was saved by water Peter wrote it which sometime were disobedient when once the long suffering of God wait in the days of Noah while the ark 
was a preparing wherein few that is eight souls are saved by water water is a type of baptism the great flood drowned out sin Peter preached baptism of water as he did and all the apostles did and the early church members did but the ark the ship the church the ark is the emblem or the type of the church and while the soul is saved by being baptized into Christ our lives are preserved by the operation of the body of Jesus Christ which are sitting in this house today don't discount the body Colossians 1:18, and he is the head of the body the church who is the beginning he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in all things he might have the preeminence he is the head we are the body he is the lord we are the church the body is the church and as we enter into the season of storms it is imperative for you to abide say it abide say it abide in the body what did John write? Oh, he wrote, and now little children abide in him that when he shall appear, when he's going to come back, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you're not abiding in Christ, you're going to be embarrassed when he comes back. You're going to be ashamed when he comes back. But if you want to have confidence in your life, abide in the body. No one can assume what Jesus would do in every situation. That is a fallacy. No one can assume what Jesus would do. What would Jesus do? No one can assume what Jesus would do in every situation. But we can read what Jesus said. <laughs> oh, abide in me. Here's John 15, 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. He that abides in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Hear it, you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he's cast forth as a branch and is withered. Men gather them and cast them into the fire and they're burned. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you. What? My words. Ye shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. I don't have to wonder what he would do because I know what he said. Let me clarify this. I'm not seeking or I'm not against what Jesus would do. But I'm not enamored with the acronym. For many years, the Christian trending community decided to promote WWJD which is the acronym for what would Jesus do? The thought of it was provoking as it regarded attitude and serving, giving love. I get it. I like it. There is little doubt that all real believers desire to be like Jesus. We aspire to be like him. And just for the record, long before the acronym came to be popular, the saints used to sing about it. Before it became fashionable to wear, it was a prayer. Before the slogan raked in hundreds of thousands of dollars and was stamped on rubber wristbands and sold for five dollars at the Christian bookstore, we all hungered to be like him. WWJD then morphed into what Jesus would wear. <laughs> what Jesus would eat, which some declared as tofu. Would he eat meat or fish or would he be a vegan? 
Or what would he drive? I'm not making this up. Some made a case for electric cars and settled that Jesus would actually drive a Toyota Prius. And this became popular. I wish I was making this stuff up. I'm not. They said because it saved the environment and helped with global warming. The WWJD crowd then made a case against what they called organized religion. Which I suppose is opposite of disorganized religion. This nonsense has continued until many have pushed the pursuit of the kingdom aside and disregarded the Bible. I don't know what he would eat or drive or where he would live. I'm not entirely sure what he would do in every situation. But I do know what he said. He said, abide in me. He said, I'm the head and you are the body. He said, I've come to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter to the kingdom of God. He said, harvest is truly plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray for the harvest. Pray, don't pray for, the, pray for the labors that the Lord would send them forth into the field. The church is the body of Jesus Christ. Don't leave the body. It's what they used to call the old ship of Zion. And I hear Paul standing on the deck preaching the message of the hour today, even this hour, except these abide in the ship. You cannot be saved. <laughs> Paul told those men about the value of the ship. He was teaching us about the value of the church. I wish I were the first to discover such things, but those 15th century scholars saw it and wrote about it long before I came to be. Malta is the high ground. It is the desired perspective of life. The value of it is told in the gains and losses of all who seek it. But life is the crashing waters. And a riptide caught the boat and tore it apart, the Bible says in verse 41. And falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the forepart struck fast and remained unmovable, but the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. Some in the boat walked from the bow to solid soil, the front of it. Yes, they went through the storm, but they simply walked away. They took a step from the forepart onto the land, from the bow onto the ground. After all they had been through, it almost seemed too easy. One step from the intolerable sea right onto safety. They made it. They arrived. And the joy of getting from one point to another, I cannot describe it. Not necessarily dry, but certainly not sinking. Not unscathed, but definitely unharmed. All those in the front of the ship... They were unmoved. They found land and safety immediately. They did not suffer or fear like the others. They were not cast about in the turmoil of the open ocean. They just moved from, from solid location to solid location. But those in the hinder part, those in the stern, they were tossed into those frigid waters. The boat broke up. The stern was shattered with the violence of the waves. Let me read it to you. But the centurion willing to save Paul kept them from their purpose. He commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and maybe you could get to land and the rest, some on boards, some on broken pieces of the ship. Here it is. And so it came to pass that they escaped all 
safe to land. Some on boards, some made it, but they were barely holding on. Some lost it all. They were gasping for breath. They were cold and weary and their bodies were aching, but they made it. All of them escaped to the land. And I stand here commissioned by the Holy Spirit to preach today. I got to preach about the point of it all. First, just let me say, it's a difficult sight to consider a brother or a sister in the Lord and wonder why life seems so easy for them while you spend so much time just trying to keep your head above water. It might even be painful for you to consider your own effort and wonder about their ease. You're holding on to a broken board, a piece. Life has not been so well. It's not put together for you like the lives of other people. You look a little scattered. They look intact. Let me just say, living for the Lord and working in the kingdom is not the same for everybody. The scripture reveals as much. They were not all the same. The Bible doesn't declare people all the same. Not your path, but your end. Some came victorious and others through hard trials. I'll read Hebrews 11. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness. They obtained promises. Life is good. They stopped the mouths of lions. Men, what a feat. They quenched the violence of fire. Incredible. They escaped the edge of the sword. They never tasted blood. Out of weakness, they were made strong. They waxed valiant in the fight. They turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Nobody could stand before them. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others, uh uh-oh, here we go. Others, here's the contrast. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Here it is again, the contrast. And others had had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonments. Some of them escaped the edge of the sword. Some of them stopped the mouths of the lions. Some of them obtained promises, but others were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were tempted. They were slain with a sword. They wandered in sheepskin and goatskin, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy of. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves. Some through hard trials. My mama used to sing. I had to look it up again. I only knew the first three lines. There was a fourth one. She used to sing the song. Some through the water, some through the flood. Some through the fire, but all through the blood. Some through great sorrow, but God gives a song. In the night season and all the day long. Some of you are moving from solid place to more solid places. And yes, there are temptations and worries, but you've been kept from the sea. God bless you. Thank God for it. You ought to thank God that the Lord has kept you. Some of you have a tough time relating to the open waters and the frigid air and the storms and the problems of life. It's okay, but don't get too comfortable. The point is not to have a good life. I know I'm counterculture today. The point is not for you to have a good life. The point is for you to have eternal life. 
But those who are cast about and holding on, things are busted up and shattered. The Holy Spirit has a word for you also today. Here's the point that the Lord wanted me to share with you today. You're going to make it. (laughs) It might be on broken pieces, but being saved is all that's ever going to matter. I know you don't think that's the point, but how you are saved by what means you make it, I know it can make you doubt, question the fairness of this life. But the point is, you're going to make it. If you come by way of broken pieces, some trial of your faith, some weighty affliction of sickness, some with family trouble or loss or suffering or heaviness or whatever, heartache that troubles your soul, just know when you step from those uncertain places, when you lay down the broken pieces and your feet hit solid streets of gold, transparent gold, you're going to know that it was worth it all. You're going to make it. I can preach all day to the position saint who is prospering and full of faith and dancing with joy because of the Lord's evident goodness in your life as well we should. I hope you're praising God. But the Spirit has purposed me today to speak to all those who are going to make it on broken pieces. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. It might be on a board or a little fragment, but you're going to make it. Let Let me just for a moment address those believers that have strength. And young adults with strength. And young marrieds with strength. And middle-aged people with strength. Do not squander your strength. Or your days on foolish living. You are blessed. So be a blessing. Young adults that went from 18 to 19. They went from youth class to young adult class it's okay to get up in the front and still worship God one day in the year should not make a difference on where you're standing in worship some of our folks have knee replacements and hip replacements But they can't help themselves to get out and do something. And you stand there fully functional with all your power and all your strength. You'll jump, leap, run, do whatever. I'm telling you, you ought to give your best energy and your best life to Jesus Christ. Don't waste the strength that you have. You've been given strength. Hey! You've been blessed, so be a blessing. I spoke to someone many, many years ago and they said, when I was in the world, I had a lot to my disposal, but now, but now later on in life, I've lost all of that. And they said, I, 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 I give the best I can in offerings and, and, and I'm always faithful in tithing. And I said, it's okay, just be faithful to God. And they said, no, you don't understand. I wish I could have given while I had it. So I say to all of you, give while you have it to give. Don't withhold it. There'll come a day when you don't have it. Let me just say this. Mm. Dance while you can. Because there's going to come a time when you're not able to do that. This is what Solomon said. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. 
And then the next few lines say, because there'll come a day when they'll lead you. And your members won't work right. And your trees, the legs, they won't function right. I would say right now, if you have any power and strength, when you get an opportunity, you ought to exercise all of your energy and praise to God and thanksgiving to God. While you have the time. While you have the time, you ought to give God your best. Because if you got the strength and you're standing on solid footing, you ought to be a blessing to the other people who don't know where to go. You ought to love through courage and the grace afforded to you by the Lord. Withholding nothing. Here, pastor, do everything that you can now. Don't squander your strength. Teach. If you're apt to teach, sing if you can sing. Encourage if you feel encouraged. But do not waste the strength or the gifts that God has given you for the sake of the kingdom. Be a witness, everybody. If you have a table in your house, teach a Bible study at your table. If you have a car with an empty back seat, fill it with people. There aren't enough buses in the bus barn to pick up the people who need to be in this house of worship. Oh, yes. But if you're struggling, and you know you're struggling, you've not lost faith, you've not lost sight, and you don't have the strength, then I want you to know the Lord has a word for you, a message. He told me this. In my mind, these are the impressions of how the Lord speaks to me. Tell the people, they're going to make it. I said, well, it's in the word. This is the Lord told me. Make the case. Make the case for me. They're going to make it. As long as they stay in the ship, they're going to make it. I, I, I was standing outside my garage. I, out of my mouth, I said, well, Lord, what, how do I do that? He, he said, I give you the word. Here's my word. Here's what I said. Just tell them they're going to make it and use my word to support the case. As long as they stay in the ship, they're going to make it. Except you abide in the ship, you're go- you can't survive without. I'm going to tell you right now, you can't survive without the church. You cannot survive without the church. You're going to waste away without the church. You've got to have it. Get in the ship. Get in the boat. Get in the church. You're going to make it. I got to tell somebody here today, yes, you may be going through hard times, but it is not over. Hang on to whatever you've got left. Hang on to whatever's broken up. Hang on, love God. Keep the faith. If you've got a little bit of faith, just keep it. If you're floating on a broken piece, at least you're still floating. And say, thank God. Don't get, don't get jealous at the people around you that look like they've got it easy and they're standing at the bow. If you've been cast into the sea, just stay. Say to yourself, I'm still with the church. I'm still in the way. I'm still making my way. You're going to make it. Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes. I feel like preaching a little bit here today. You're not over. You're not through. You're not down. You're not under. You're going to make it. Hey. Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes, oh yes, oh yes, oh yes. Hey. I wish I had a young man under 19 that helped him do what he's doing.
like a young lady that will run around the church right now. Anybody under 19? I'll, thank you very much. You got strength. You ought to be doing something. Nico and Zach, get out of your pew. Come. That whole row of boys, come. I want you just to, I want you to worship. I want you to clap. And I want you to just take a lap around the church. I know I'm provoking you. Just praise him. Run and praise him. You can run. You got strength. How you feeling, Brother Morris? Wait, wait a second, Brother Morris. Are you are you over the age? Are you in the AARP, Elder? Do your do your feet sometimes ache and your hips sometimes ache and your back sometimes ache? I'm a little weary. I'm a little weary with the elder showing us how to praise God and serve God. I think it's time for everyone who has strength, you ought to get busy right now. Because if you're not going to get busy, you're going to lose more than you can imagine. All right, I'm almost done. Psalm 20, I'm sorry, Acts 27 verse 39. This is what happened. I'll take you. And when daylight came, they didn't recognize the land. Of course, because they'd never seen it before. But they did see a bay and a sandy beach. You've never seen it. You've never imagined it. I have not seen. No one could even describe it to you. But in the morning... You're going to see something. You're not going to really recognize it. But when the last trump of God sounds in the morning when I rise. Hey, here's, here's the next chapter. I got to get to this. Oh, so much. Verse 1, Acts 28, verse 1. Once safely ashore, we found out. Somebody say we found out. Somebody say we found out. Now, right now, you're looking through a glass darkly, but one day, face to face, you're going to find out. Right now, you don't understand everything, but one day, you're going to understand it in the sweet by and by. You're going to find out.